Hello, my name is Lauren Patterson, your host and guiding light to self-love. I am the author of Amazon bestseller, Freeing Your Heart for Love, and founder of a nonprofit to help people challenge with abuse and depression. The intention of this podcast show is to inspire and encourage you through my experiences and those of my guests that you can discover self-love and true happiness for yourself. My next amazing guest is Karen Robinson. Karen is the CEO of Solomon's Porch Women's Society, a platform for influential women involved in or affiliated with the entertainment industry, the NBA, the NFL, MLB, and also includes governors, mayors, diplomats, and pastors' wives. She is the founder and director of Raven's Hope International, a learning program that offers spiritual growth and biblical studies leadership development, life skills, and mission opportunities to young ladies, generally 18 to 30 years old from around the world. Karen Robison is also the senior advisor and liaison for the CEO Master Club. CEO Master Club is the first business coaching, networking, and awarding platform in Cambodia that empower SME business owners and leaders. Karen helps to develop leaders all around the world from USA, Cambodia, Istanbul, Amsterdam, Singapore, Haiti, and more. By teaching them to reach their audiences through compassion, candor, and communication, Karen believes the wine is in the cluster, not in the grape, and we are better to get there. Hi, Karen. How are you doing today? I am great. I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here and taking the time to be on Show Up in Love. I really appreciate it. And for those listening, I always love to share how I meet people. I met Karen on Clubhouse (laughs) and I heard her speak and I reached out to her right away. And I wanted you on the show because you are so inspirational and everything you shared from what I heard was amazing. So thank you so much again for being here. You're welcome. You're welcome. So the first question I love asking is, why does mental health matter to you? You know, for me, mental health is very, very important, basically simply because I know as individuals, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit, and our soul is the seat of our emotions and our mental health and our mindset and where we think. And if we're off balance in our mental health, then we're off balance in all areas. Mm-hmm. Yes, I resonate with that. That is 120% correct. That's how I feel sometimes uh, when I'm not taking care of myself. And you know what is so crazy? We spend so much time. You have uh, people of faith spend a lot of time, which is I am a person of faith, but we focus on our spiritual man. And then you have Mm -hmm. people that we're very world conscious. So we're constantly focusing on our health, but we don't spend a lot of time working on our mind, just making sure mentally that we're healthy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it took me 29 years to figure it out, which is a really long time. I understand. (laughs) With a lot of hard work. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And it's crazy, Karen, too, because it seems something so simple to take care of our mindset, but it's, it's hard at the same time. So what has been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome your own mental health? Oh, Lorraine, as a young girl, I come from a very, very big family, a family of 10, eight boys, two girls. 
Wow. I'm number nine out of the 10 children. And my father left when I was two. So my mother was left raising us pretty much by herself. And just as a young girl, just being raised in a home with so many brothers and just in and out, um, you know, just needing help with the system. I found myself from the age eight to 12 being sexually abused. Mm. And in that journey, it just killed my mind. It just it killed my self-esteem. I didn't know who I was. I struggled mentally. I lost my voice. It was it was a journey finding myself. It was a journey finding my voice again. It was a journey just being healed. And even though it's so strange, even though that was a physical act against me, it took a toll on my mind. Mm-hmm. Especially being so young. Yes, yes, yes. And you go through all the process. I went through all the process of it had to be my fault. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I was pretty enough. It wasn't like I was smart enough. So it had to be my fault. And even as a little girl, I literally went in self-protection mode Mm -hmm. and I didn't do it consciously. I did it subconsciously. I started dressing like a little boy. I became a tomboy. And everybody thought it was just because I had a lot of brothers, but they didn't realize subconsciously I was trying to protect myself, keeping anybody's uncle, brother, Mm -hmm. father away from me. And it was just hard. And I literally shut down. Wow. So what helped you move through that? So it was so I was silent, which is so crazy from the age of eight to 16. I never mentioned it at all. I met my husband at the age of 16. And that's literally when I first first started speaking out loud. He would say things like, what's on your mind? And I did the typical answer. People give nothing. Yeah. He's like, everybody have thoughts. And he just kept crying. And I got to a place where I started feeling comfortable to talk out loud, to talk about it, to share it with someone. But what really, really happened, Lorraine, is I was at a Sunday school service of all the places. And we were teaching, I don't know, she was teaching on Daniel, Joseph, somebody in the Bible, but the Sunday school teacher took a turn and she said, I'm not for sure why I'm saying this. She said, but when I was a young girl, she said, I was sexually abused. Oh my gosh. It took everything within me not to cry. And I'm like, cry up. Oprah said, cry up. So the tears won't fall. All Mm -hmm. of a sudden tears were just streaming down my face. Well, at that particular time, my secret was out. So at that particular time, people in that classroom, start asking me questions. And it's so funny just sharing that I had been sexually abused as hard as it was. It seemed like the weight, it chipped away at something, almost like the, uh, you know, the prison that I put around me or the mm-hmm. wall that I built around me. It's almost like a wall came down. Not all of the walls, but the walls came down. And just over time, just pressing into my faith, And then also allowing people in and allowing people to be a part of my journey to bring healing. It was people. It was crazy thing. It was a person that brought the pain, but it was people who brought the healing. Wow. That's so powerful and inspirational. And it's, it's reminding me of my own journey. And also when, when people share, it's, it's the power of shares. Mm -hmm. When, When people share their story, others have the courage to share, which was what happened to you. That's amazing. Yes, yes. That's amazing. I love that. That almost made me tear up too, just hearing that because I can just picture you a little girl and just crying and feeling mm-hmm. that emotion. And now you felt like you could share, you felt safe enough to share. So 
And I was here, you know, I was sexually abused. I was sexually abused by my stepfather. And it was Mm. hard. The one reason I didn't talk about it is because in my childlike mind, I felt like I needed to protect my mother. Yeah. And I was, I thought I was protecting my mother. I didn't want her to, who wants to know my husband um, is messing with my daughter. So I Mm. didn't share. And then finally, when I had an opportunity to share with my mom, you know, after I started walking through my healing and walking through the process, she was so devastated to think that I went all these years and never shared it with her and thought that she would make it that I had to make a decision as a child to protect her. Wow. Yeah. You know, I had a a little thing with my stepfather, too. At one point, my mom didn't believe me. I I tried to talk to her and I wrote about it in my book, but it, it went nowhere. So I I resonate with what you said. I don't know if he sexually abused me, but something happened and mm-hmm. I don't really recall. That's a lot of inner child work I still have to do. <laughs> right. Do you know I wrote, so I wrote a book called It's Time to Heal, A Time to Heal. And it was H-E-E-L because it was when I stepped into a pair of high heels. Mm. One of my pastor's wife noticed that I was a tough little boy-looking girl and knew I needed help. And she took me to buy some dresses and some high heels. And I remember stepping in those high heels and the journey of, I felt so uncomfortable, but I knew my journey was beginning. So I wrote a book called A Time to Heal My Journey Through Sexual Abuse. And before I printed the book, I knew I needed to let my mother read it. And that's the way I share with my mom and my, and my little brother. Oh, yeah. I was checking out uh, your website. You had a couple books on there. Um, and I love the heels, the high heels yeah, <laughs> analogy. <thank you. laughs> That's so cool. So what inspired you to create Raven's Hope International? And how is this helping young ladies in Cambodia? And this is this I was reading about this and this is so inspirational. So could you share a little bit about that? I would love to. I would love to. So for me, as I just told my story that I never been coming from a broken family. I never been third world poor, but I've been American poor. Mm-hmm. I never been in sex trafficking, but I've been sexually abused. So my journey alone, I knew once I received my healing that I was okay. I knew I needed to help someone else be okay. And I made a trip to Cambodia in 2010 and I didn't want to go to Cambodia. I literally went because a friend invited me. She said, you want to go on a missions trip? I was like, absolutely not. I was like, absolutely not. I was like, there's a mission in my own family, a mission in my own country. And being a woman of faith, I heard God say to me, he said, what I hear you say, let me tell you what I hear you say. I hear you say that my kitchen is dirty. Why clean the rest of my house? He said, the whole world is my house. It belongs to me. And that kind of settled it. But I still went to Cambodia for a friend. It was a seven day missions trip. The missions trip, if you know anything about missions trip, they're very strategic. They're very intentional. They want you to feel what they want you to feel. They want you to see what they want you to see. So the leader of the organization, she's from Australia. She had an organization that was rescuing girls from sex trafficking. These girls was five to 17 years old. She was rescuing them from sex trafficking. So she put us down by the brothel. Mm -hmm. And there was literally nothing we can do in Cambodia other than just be there, pray, watch. Uh, so we were down by the brothel and we just kind of watched girls go in and out of these hotels. And 
I'm not exaggerating. There were some very young girls that would go in a hotel with two and three men at a time. And oh it was God. very devastating. And yeah. as I was sitting there watching that, I realized, wow, I'm okay. You know, and what I mean by I'm okay, I knew, okay, we're here. We can't help everybody, but we can help somebody here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here to help someone. So on day seven of that missions trip, day six of that seven day missions trip, the leader of the organization, she's from Australia. She said, Karen, she said, when I was in America, I had an opportunity to attend one of your leadership conferences and one of your seminars. She said, I have my Cambodia staff, my Australia staff and my American staff here. She said, would you stay and do leadership training? Well, absolutely. I'm called to fortify leaders and empower women to change the world. So I was like, absolutely, I can do that. What I didn't realize, Lorraine, is that every single person, even my friend that invited me, the very next day would get on a plane and go home. Mm. So my friend and everybody that came with us got on a plane and went home. The leader of the organization, she introduced me to my translator, Mm -hmm. kind of told me what I was going to be. My day was going to be nine to three every day for the next seven days. And then she got on the plane and went home. Oh, so wow. He just, yes, exactly. So now that I'm in this third world country all by myself. And it was a moment of change for me. It was life changing for me. I was teaching, don't die with your seed in your pocket. Mm-hmm. I was teaching the staff, there's nothing more frustrating to see something with your heart and your mind and your emotions and never see it with your hands. And that's not God's intention. If you can see it with your heart and your eyes, you can see it with your hands. All things are possible. Mm-hmm. And my translator looked at me and she said, I dream. She said, I dream of seeing the modern country. That won't happen for me. And that just didn't sit well with me. Yeah. And then one day I was out eating. I was eating down by the brothels. And in my peripheral vision, I saw a young lady and I knew what she was doing. I knew she was waiting for a gentleman caller. And I asked her if she would come and eat with me. But we began to talk. She asked me why I was there. She began to tell me her story. But the first thing she said to me is, it's not for love. And I know she was simply saying, don't judge me. She said, it's Mm -hmm. not for love. She said, my sister is sick. My mother was sick. My mother was dying. She said, look around at all these kids. She said, I hear in your country, people help, churches help, uh, communities help, families help. She said, there's no one to help us. And then she started crying. She said, when I'm in, she said, when I'm in the brothel, she said, he pulls me so close and I cry because it's not for love. She said, I go from hotel room to hotel room. And she said, I lie on my back and tears just fill my ears. She said, because it's not for love. She said, I dream of dancing. I dream of singing. And then the last thing she said again, it's not for love. And now I'm on an airplane, I'm heading back home and I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world just happened? I didn't even want to go on this trip. So now I have a 24 hour flight home by myself. I'm processing, I'm journaling. And Mm -hmm. I heard God say, Karen, it's all for love. It's for the love of her mother, the love of her sister, the love of her country. He said, no, you don't know love in such an inhumane way. He said, but when I died on the cross, that was love in an inhumane way. He said, these girls are a product of their environment. He said, they can't dream beyond what they've seen and what they've experienced. He said, yes, food, clothing, and shelter is necessary. He said, but wisdom and knowledge is everlasting. Mm -hmm. He said, I want you to take these, bring young ladies to, and I'm writing, I'm just writing in my journal. He said, I want you to bring young ladies, 18 to 30, because that was around the age of the lady I encountered. Mm -hmm. I want you to bring them to America, empower them, equip them. 
and then bring them back to be agents of change in their country. So we set on a journey to do that. And it was, we got so many no's. And to make a long story short, we got so many no's. The U.S. Embassy said no. I talked to NGOs in the country. They said no. I talked to churches in the country. They said it's a bad idea because the girls, women in Cambodia are the sole providers. And they said, if you take them out, you're taking out their money. And I'm thinking, I only want to take them out just for a little while, just for a little while, empower them so they can come back and make more money in a dignified way. Right. And so I I got a no from the U.S. Embassy. They said we they're flight risk. People from Cambodia, we don't have a treaty with Cambodia. It's not an open border to Cambodians to come to America. He said, what you want to do? How sweet. But no. Wow. Every, everybody told me no. But I heard God say, no, don't mean no. I mean, ask again, ask somebody else and ask differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my translator. And I told her to gather her friends and she gathered some of her friends and I asked them, what do they dream about? And they just dreamed about having a home, being able to provide for their family. But I knew I had to do something. So I prepared visas, paid for visas, paid for these girls to get passports, wrote invitation letters, sent them to the U.S. Embassy to get their visa. And they got to know. They got to know. They were so devastated because here I am, a stranger, getting their hopes up and they get a no. But all I can hear is, no, don't mean no. Ask again. Ask somebody else. Ask differently. Yeah. I, I rewrote the letter. We did it again. I sent them back and they got another no. Oh, my God. They were so devastated. And I'm like, okay, let's one more time, one more time. And being a woman of faith, you know, we spiritualize things. So yeah. I'm like, oh, Jesus rose on the third day. The third day is a, the third time is a charm. Let's do it again. It's going to work. They went the third time and they got another no. Wow. So, but all I can hear is no, don't mean no. Mm -hmm. I mean, ask again, ask somebody else and ask differently. And there was a time when I asked, what am I fighting for? They're in their own country. And I heard God say their dream matter too. So Mm -hmm. now I'm in America. I've already did. We already started our 501c3. We already found a a facility that has 17 bedrooms. We already started renovating. We've done everything. So by this time, I've gotten so many no's. So I looked online and it says that I can call our congressman and they can do a congressional letter to get people a visa. So I literally called, asked if I can have an appointment, went in and met with our congressman. I told him the same thing that I told you. And he pretty much told me, bless your heart. We don't have a treaty with Cambodia. It'd be a flight risk. Cambodians don't come to America. Wow. All I can hear is no, don't mean no. That's good kid. As somebody else has differently. So I said, sir. I said, I understand. I said, I understand there's absolutely nothing you can do. I said, but I read online that you can write a congressional letter. And I said, I know the decision isn't yours. I said, but can you submit the condition, the congressional letter? It was congressional inquiry. He submitted one for nine girls. I went home, went to bed. Rain, I woke up in the morning and the very next day I had an email that was forwarded to me that said, tell your constituent Karen Robinson to send every girl back. Her visa had been approved. Oh, wow. Yeah, so since two, that, that took to 2013, and since then, every year we bring young ladies. We have brought over 100 people to America. Wow. We have mountain yeah, right? girls, yes, from Cambodia. Oh, so, wow. Yes. That, oh my gosh, I started crying. <laughs> yes. That so is excited. so inspirational. How did you come up with Raven's Hope International? How did you come up with that name? 
Uh, so the name was, I'm thinking as a believer and as a Christian, sometimes we come up with names like Jesus Christ, Holy Fire. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that. You know, for me, I didn't want that. I was talking to my daughter and I was like, you know, I just want something girly, just something simple. I don't want it to be super spiritual. I just want it to be simple. I said, I don't know, like Raven or Hope. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, Raven Hope. Yeah. And then I began to search the scripture. I found out during Noah, he released the dove, but first he released, he released a raven to tell whether or not the drown was the ground was dry and things were safe. And then also the Bible, they, they sent the raven out to feed Elijah. And so I knew, I came across a scripture that says, who provide for the ravens? And so I knew it had to be Raven's Hope because these girls are first generations that get to come to America. So yeah. I knew just as the bird was the first to go out, mm-hmm. these were first generation of girls that get to come to America. So I knew I needed to name it Raven's Hope. Wow. I love that. I, yeah. I see a lot of, I, I get a lot of birds in my backyard and ravens come to visit me every now and then. Mm-hmm. And, you, <laughs> and know what uh, is, you know, one other thing too, we call it, it's not said, but Raven is known as the dirty bird. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times third world countries get a bad rap, you know, as yeah. the dirty bird. And when, when I read the scripture that said, who provide for the Raven? I knew we needed to provide for the Ravens. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's so inspirational. I love that so much. I I will connect with you after because I, I'm doing something for the youth as well. So we'll chat after this show. Yes, I would love that. So can you share what Solomon's Porch Society is and how this organization is touching the lives of women today? Because this is for older women, right? Not mm-hmm. the youth. Yeah, so Solomon's Port Society, it is a platform in a form that allows safe place for high-profile women. It's your coaches' wives, your NBA wives, your ambassadors. It's um, some of your Hollywood stars, and it provides a safe place for them literally to think out loud. Mm. And the reason why we call it Solomon's Porch is that was another name that I didn't choose, and I won't go into that for the sake of time, but Solomon's Porch is outside of the temple. Mm. And one of the things God wanted me to do when I started Solomon's Porch was to create a space where women, high-profile women, wouldn't ask to go into another charity, another service, another event, but you're causing them to, you're ushering them out just to sit on the porch and to feel the breeze of the Spirit. So we created a safe place for high-profile women to think out loud. They go through things that if we knew about it, it would hit the newspaper. It would be all over the tabloid. So we provide a safe place for them to think out loud. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. I love both of those. That's so inspiring. When I was reading about it, I knew that I wanted to ask about it because it's, I love inspirational things like that. So thank you. You're welcome. So what is your show up and love inspirational message to someone listening right now? Oh, what I will say to you is my journey. Can I tell you my journey through health, my, my, my physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health? It came from the cluster. There's a quote I say all the time, the wine is in the cluster. It's not in the grape. So I encourage you not to isolate yourself. I know people bring the most pain, but also bring people bring the most healing. Stay in the cluster. There's safety in the cluster. There's friendship in the cluster. There's healing in the cluster. There's hope in the cluster. And we can accomplish so much more in the cluster. No matter what you're going through, how you feel, Find the cluster and stay a part of the cluster. 
I love that. And I love wine. So when I read that quote, yeah. I was like, wow, I am resonating with that. Yes. <laughs> and so Karen, how can everybody find you? So you can find me several ways on my website at karenrobinson.com. I'm also on social media. I'm on Facebook, Karen Empowers, Karen Empowers, at Karen Empowers, that's Facebook. On IG, you can find me at It's Karen Robinson. Real simple, It's Karen Robinson. So pretty much if you Google my name, Karen Robinson, or Karen Mills Robinson, you'll find me. Also, Ravens Hope International. Dot com. They all link to each other. I would love, love, love to be a part of your journey. Yes. Thank you, Karen, so much. I appreciate you and uh, we will be in touch. Awesome. Thank you for joining me today. I encourage you to come back for more love and inspiration. If you love this podcast show, please like and leave a review. Follow me on Instagram at showupandlove to be updated on the upcoming shows. Until next time, remember to love each other and choose love every day.